All right, brothers. Good morning. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you. Yourself? Good. Doing great. Doing great. It's good to see you. It's good for us to to have been able to visit a little bit before we started uh, the recording on this podcast. And uh, just really looking forward to what we are going to talk about today. We've got some pretty important subjects we're going to look at today. Uh, we've got the next three chapters of uh, Joel Beakey's Reform Systematic Theology. Uh, we're looking at chapters seven, eight, and nine. And, uh, and just a breakout of those chapters goes like this. Chapter seven is the controversy over the historical Adam. We started talking about Adam last time, and today we want to focus on the controversy that is uh, there regarding, uh, you know, well, was Adam really a true person in history, or is Adam a metaphor, or, or does Adam mean something else other than him being an actual human person, a, a male that God created in time at the very beginning? So we're going to look at that, and then also we're going to look at uh, the next two chapters cover the image of God, and, uh, and and it actually goes on into other chapters as well, but we'll we'll pick that up next time, Lord willing. But we want to look at the image of God, and we want to start by looking at uh, exegetical and biblical theology. We want to start with Scripture, and then image of God part two, historical and polemical theology, historical uh, meaning, you know, what do we see in church history? Polemical just means it's kind of a word for, uh, uh, you know, uh, debating or, or, or arguments or argumentative, but not in a bad way of, of, of being argumentative. But it's 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 like a defensive, like a, uh, you know, you, we're entering into controversy here and entering into different viewpoints and different opinions. So, so we want to look at that as well. That'll be the last chapter, historical and polemical theology dealing with the image of God. But for right now, let's just go ahead and start at the very beginning. We want to pick up what we were talking about with Adam last time, and today we want to go into the controversy over the historical Adam. And uh, Joel Beakey basically sets it up like this. He says, uh, um, well, first of all, the question is, as I said, is was, that, was Adam a real historical individual is, is it a person and and honestly what does it really matter if someone was to say he was and someone was to say he wasn't does it really matter in the big scheme of things and uh and i think all of us here would say absolutely yes it does and and beaky sort of sets it up like this uh he says there are two main lines of argument for the historical adam first the history revealed by god in the bible asserts that Adam was a real man and the father of the entire human race. Second, the theology revealed by God in the Bible depends upon Adam's historical reality. Though we cannot separate theology from history in the scriptures, we can discuss the reality of events recorded in Bible history before we draw conclusions as to their spiritual significance. So basically he's saying, okay, the, the two lines of argumentation, number one, we, we've got to nail down the question, was he a, a historical person? And based upon that, that is how then we can talk about the theology that comes from that. What is the theology that God builds upon by having the foundation of Adam being a real person who was created in history? Because if he's not a real person created in history, 
well, then the theology around that just falls down and it's just destroyed. So, uh, Mike, you want to discuss this a little bit, the controversy over the historical Adam? Sure. Um, again, this is chapter seven, and, and the, way I, the way I've looked at this chapter is uh, based on your, your introduction on the two main lines of the argument, that's kind of how I started looking at this. And then I, uh, I looked at a couple of questions that, that, they, that he has at the end of each chapter. And so, you know, I, and I was, as I was reading this, and it's like, uh, why is the doctrine of a real Adam and history important to us and, and looking at it the different views and then looking at how someone can say that, um, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I believe in Jesus Christ, but it, I, I don't care about all that other stuff. I don't need it. I have Christ mm -hmm. and I don't need anything else but that. And what, 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 how we respond to that or how we should respond to that as uh, Christians. Um, so uh, looking at the doctrine of a real Adam, uh, it's, it's important because uh, if, if Adam weren't real, it, it, it changes how we, uh, it's, it, it, it changes in a, in a, in a, critical way, how we look at the rest of what's in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So if we look at uh, the doctrine of the real Adam and the view of human nature, the unity of the human race, and, human race, and then um, unity of the human race, and then the design for men and women, uh, if, if there was no real Adam, it would impact how we look at all these areas. Uh, but first, uh, Adam is just, you know, when reading the Bible, Adam is just not an in interesting figure in history. He is the foundation of our Christian beliefs as Christians. And if he disappears, meaning uh, into myth mythology, or if he's, uh, we lose our foundational views of man's identity uh, because we, we, we say Adam wasn't real, then we lose our view on the identity of man's, uh, the identity of man, the, the sin, and uh, the, the need for a savior. Um, so uh, on the human nature view, um, our, while our bodies may may share or have similar characteristics with animals, uh, Scripture insists that man is not uh, a highly developed animal, but a special creation of God, mm -hmm. made in His image to rule or have dominion over the animals. And that was in Genesis one twenty six. And I'll just read that real quick. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and then let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that uh, creeps on earth. Uh, he also uh, referenced uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a li living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So if we reject Adam, the, the history of Adam, we destroy the basis of distinction between mankind and the animal kingdom. Uh, so yeah, um, and that, let me uh, if I could, Mike, just let me jump in there. I think yeah. what you just said is, I mean, boy, we we have to punctuate that. Yeah, if 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 it is evolutionary, like so many people believe today, then then we do destroy that basis of a distinction between man and animal. I mean, we are just kind of farther down the evolutionary chain than them, but. But really, in the sense we're we're one and the same. We uh, uh, the, the, there's no dividing line. The only thing yeah. is uh, there's not a difference in them and us. There's just a difference between uh, the the spectrum, the progress of where we are. 
down the line. So I, I think that's fundamental. If you don't have that creation of a true man, a true individual there, yeah. then then what what demarks us off from from pets and, and and animals and things like that? And then you get into a whole slew of things because we have, and I don't mean to derail what you're saying, but just to point no, this out, we no. have a whole ethic uh, when it comes to animals that uh, we don't have for human beings. We have a, a superior ethic with human beings, you know? And so, but if, if we're all the same in essence, we're just a little more advanced than they are, then why the distinction even there? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, when, when in this particular point, what it caused me to do just in my, my reading and studying, which um, it made me dive deeper into, okay, what is the, uh, looking at the definition of when it, when it says God created. And in my study, it says a lot of individuals will insert it uh, in between on Genesis one twenty six, it says, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness." You know, God's creating man, but they they add the word "and" a and d in between uh, in our image and after our likeness, which changes the meaning of Scripture there. Uh, so I, I then I dug into cre- what the definition of creation was, and then what the definition of uh, uh, procreator or begot. Uh, was and and so it, it really helps when you when you dive into that and study it really helps distinguish the difference between you know man and an animal and what it means when it says God created and then Adam begot so I mean to mm-hmm. me it was, it was very uh, and, and uh, very uh, informative and enlightening and d- deepened my understanding of what I'm reading in Scripture so but uh, so I'll go on so uh, I appreciate uh, what you were saying and I agree hundred percent. With uh, then it, it just takes us a different level. Um, so, so the the image that we, we are created in the image of God. The image of God is not something that was added to us, but a but, part, but a part of our very con- construction. So, uh, after the fall uh, of man into sin and spiritual death, we are still characterized as made in the image of God. So we still have that image of God that that uh, in us. And uh, that's that's backed by scripture in Genesis nine and verses one through six. It says we are told that the Lord gave man the right to kill and eat animals, but declared that anyone who murders a human being must die because God created man in His image. And that kind of goes back to I think what you were alluding to, Van. If 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 if, if there is no Adam, it, and it lowers us to the basis of uh, uh, the, uh, a distinction between mankind and animal, uh, then we're what, you know, we kill animals to, to eat. God God gave us animals for food um, after the after the fall, but you know we don't kill other human beings. We're at a higher higher level, mm-hmm. a higher plane. Right. And uh, to me, and to me, and I think an earlier back when we were studying the uh, I can't remember what book before we started doing these podcasts, we talked about also this opens up that uh, about murdering human beings must must die because they're shedding blood. The sanctity of Life. I mean, I think that's what I think of as well when I read in, in that area. Um, those that deny the history of a, historical uh, presence of Adam also uh, uh, they blur the difference between uh, again mankind and beast. Uh, we, uh, I mean, I, I just it, it, he he just uh, repeated that or stressed that that if if you deny the historical existence of Adam, you blur the difference between mankind and beast. Uh, we have been given dominion over the beast. The scripture tells us that. And he, and, uh, he has put 
those things under our feet for us to, to, to have dominion and to manage uh, all sheep, all oxen, the beast of the mm-hmm. field, the birds, like what I read earlier. So I mean, so that's the number one point. If we deny Adam, deny the existence of Adam or someone denies the existence of Adam, then they, they, they blur the difference between the, what we are as a uh, created human and, and the animals. Um, the other area was in the human, in the unity of the human race. If we deny that Adam existed, then how do we look at, you know, the creation or how, how God uh, populated the earth? Um, so if we, again, we lose the distinction of the human race as one race uh, and you bring in multiple races. Um, I, I like yeah, what and that, John, and that. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I like what John Calvin said in, in reading what uh, Beaky had. He said, God cannot himself have covered the earth with a multitude of men, could have covered with a multitude of men, but it was his will that we should proceed from one fountain in order that our desire of mutual concord might be greater and that each might be the more freely, might more freely embrace the other as his own flesh. I, I really like that, it, especially the part where he says that we proceed from one fountain. I just think of how we proceed from one fountain in Christ as well. Go, yeah, on, the, well, go, go ahead, ahead, Marvin. Uh, yeah, I think Answers in Genesis is doing some really good work in this and in, in the sense of doing a genetic trace back. We've already, we've always been told uh, that there's a great muddle there at the beginning uh, of, of humanity in terms of trying to, as the Bible does basically to do a, uh, a genealogy or to try to, yeah. to, to get a lineage back. Uh, uh, but they're doing some really good work in showing that that's not the case at all. Uh, that there is a strong case to be made from a, uh, from, uh, a, from a, an individual man and from him, an individual woman, uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of what we would call the progenitor of the race. Um, and I agree with you in the sense that, uh, to deny that, uh, or to try to work around, it really is, uh, the very, uh, really is the, the, uh, at the very heart of, of many of the, uh, uh, ungodly and social ills. We have such a euthanasia. Uh, mm-hmm. in other words, if, if, uh, life is something that has, an inherent value only to the degree that it is, uh, it helps to the perpetuation of the race, uh, uh, calling out the weak or, or the inadequate. Um, uh, we really have no long, strong legs to stand on in that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I really love how, I mean, this is like the death nail really to, to racism because when yes. you, uh, the issue is when you re- replace a historical Adam with uh, evolution and you've got just this continuing development uh, and evolutionary process, I mean, it really does make it possible that, you know, humanity comes out of, you know, different species or, yeah. you know, e- even then you could say different races. But I, I love what Beaky uh, says here, and I just want to quote him on this. He, he writes... Black or white, Chinese or Russian, Arab or Jew, we are all blood brothers. We have no basis to view other human beings as fundamentally different from ourselves, for we all share a common set of ancestors. And then he goes on to say, if we uh, treat Genesis as a collection of myths or metaphors, then we seriously damage our ability to stand against ethnic prejudice 
uh, ethnic prejudice and hatred. We open the door for the idea that various ethnic groups come from different origins, uh, polygenesis or polygenism, and thus some are superior to others. And that is so true. I mean, if, if we don't have a, a start, a common start, where we can look at one, just one, and say we all came from him, we all came from that person. If we don't have that, that opens the door to all these other things. And then you you have all these other viewpoints and and basically racism, uh, ethnic superiority, things like that. So uh, very good point, Mike. Yeah, and the thing that in, in this section, what Vicky was saying, and I, you know, I had never, I, you know, I mean, uh, maybe I had heard it before and, and believed it, but he talks about, you know, when you had the individual says, I don't, I don't, I, I have Christ, I believe in Christ, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need the uh, the Adam or the historical uh, Adam. This kind of that section kind of addresses that, and it says because we, if we don't have Adam. Then how can we, you know, I guess is if you don't have Adam, then how can you have unity in Christ or our union with Christ? Because he said our unity in Christ is based on our unity with Christ, and our unity with Him depends on our taking in our common human nature. To himself. Oh, I'm sorry, I read the wrong one. Uh, where was I? Uh, our unity in Christ depends upon our common human nature from Adam. So, I mean, if if we don't have that common un- union. Nature, and Adam, then we 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 uh, it it it, it uh, we we can't have that. We we don't have that union with Christ. I get, does that make sense? Am I am I off track? No, yeah, and I think I think you, you kind of uh, thrown the ball up to serve on chapter nine as well when he talks about the uh, constitutional and the functional views of the uh, image of God and man, because that really is the very heart of it. And if you take this kind of evolutionary view, you pretty much are forced into some kind of functional view of the image of God, where you locate the image of God in an action rather than in in an innate uh, part uh, of ourselves, uh, which is created by God and which reflects him. Uh, You you pretty much can't do that because uh, even if you say there is a development in line, all of a sudden zap, you know, God uh, God creates, uh, designates a man and a woman actually to begin the story, so to speak, and a myth, uh, essentially in a mythology, uh, then that's what you're left with. I mean, once you lose that historical trace, uh, then again, it's hard to talk about uh, uh, the uh, value of a human being in terms of their intrinsic value being made in the image of God uh, when uh, it, it really is not a uh, it first of all has no uh, has no lasting meaning, and secondly, it has no historical basis, which mm-hmm. I think is what you're saying. Yeah, true, true, Mike. I, I just want to ask you, but before we move on uh, and and start looking at the uh, the the image of God, uh, I just want to read Romans chapter five, beginning in verse twelve. And, and my question to you, Mike, as you're talking about the historical Adam. Is is I want to just ask, how in the world does this work out? Uh, th- this is the theology that is built upon the historical Adam. Uh, this, among many other theological points, we could say, but but how does this work? How can this work if we do not have a historical Adam? If Adam is just uh, code or or metaphor for 
you know, Adam, you know, the, the, the Hebrew word for, for man, mankind, the whole human race. Uh, if, if Adam is just a picture of a pluralistic group of people or just an amorphous, you know, blob like that of, of creation of man, how, how does this aspect work? What Paul says in Romans chapter five, beginning in verse 12, because listen to how many times he says one man, one man, one man. And he's making a, a one-to-one um, comparison here, basically with what Christ has done, the work of Adam, the work of Christ. So, so Paul writes in Romans chapter five, beginning in verse 12, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him, meaning Christ, who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, again, there's the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through the righteous, uh, through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, Mike, that sounds like to me that we're talking about justification. We're talking about the work of Christ, but it's all predicated upon Adam's work, uh, a real person. So how does this work out if we don't have this real historical one individual named Adam? Well, boy, I guess this could open up uh, many, many thoughts. But I, I guess the first thing that pops to mind, if, there were, if we, we discard the historical Adam, then it then the question is uh, then God God created then God just created a, a, a multiple individuals and put them on the earth and then were we placed in a in a sinful uh, earth where we were we sinful from the beginning uh, there, there was no fall if there's no fall then then there is no need for uh, uh, Christ I mean we we, we negate that um, and I guess I, the other thing I'd look at too is um, Going back to scripture, if uh, with with Adam, I mean, we with his fall, he with Adam and Eve, their fall, you know, Eve was deceived, uh, and then uh, she, I guess, you know, Adam was there, she was deceived, he didn't step in, so he, as the king uh, the, of the uh, covenant uh, of, of, of in the head. He failed to uphold his responsibilities, and, and we entered into the corruption of the uh, the 
the, the death, sinful death, uh, from a spiritual death. And, um, and I guess it gets back to, well, I don't know. Um, let me see. I think, I think I had this. I guess it opens up the, the, the how we look at the, the Bible itself. Uh, it, it, we would be subjecting God's word to, I guess, skepticism. If, if we didn't have Adam and then Ben, they would infect the, how we have uh, grace and salvation through Christ. Um, I mean, it, he's, I, th I think, uh, it, it, I'm not really sure. I guess we'd, uh, we would, uh, there'd be a wide uh, skepticism surging over the entire Bible of what is true or what, and I guess reading the Bible and, and applying uh, our meaning to it to fit our, our, our point of view. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, well, you know, the bottom line is Romans five just doesn't work if we don't have yeah. the historical Adam. Go ahead, well, Marvin. Well, and 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 it also, uh, I think, insults insults the very text itself. I mean, at yeah. some at some point, you have to ask, okay, this seems to be we have no verbal, contextual, exegetical clues uh, that this is not historical. As a matter of fact, if you when you go to the New Testament. It, it begins, two of the Gospels begin with genealogies, Matthew and Luke do, yeah. uh, that, that go back either through Abraham or through or through Adam, all the way to Adam, uh, and establishing a line like that. Uh, so it seems to me to be, uh, it seems to me to be insulting, insulting to the text, insulting to the reader, uh, in the sense that, uh, it, that if the biblical writers had chosen really to make this an allegory, to make this, uh, with a wink and a nod to say, okay, we are, we're accommodating to what we know is not true. It's uh, basically, it's a non-historical account that we're rendering here. Uh, yeah. But the fact is that, and Paul is, and, and Paul or Saul of Tarsus as he was then is an example of that. That's not the way he was taught. Uh, and, and this is not the way it's been, it's been, uh, it's been brought down to us. I mean, this is, this is clearly something that's been imported by science and by the culture, uh, mm -hmm. a reading of this that really has uh, for centuries, at least the last two or three centuries really has taken the Academy in the sense that, um, that, that the Hebrew people and, and thus also the first century Christians and the writers of the new Testament, they actually are dependent, dependent for their ideas and their writing upon the, the surrounding nations. The surrounding nations weren't concerned about history in the sense that, uh, that they had gods that were, um, uh, that were non-historical. Uh, they didn't have to trace the origins of them, not in any fastidious way. Uh, but yet they were, they were good with the effects of them. And so, uh, they think, I mean, the assumption is that the New Testament and the Old and New Testament wrote in that way. And there's no no reason at all to believe that. Again, it's insulting to the text. Yeah. And one thing, too, that we it, if that if that we take that away, then uh, in the scripture tells us God gave us the Bible is a lens of how to look at his, how he revealed right. this to us. And if we right. take that away, then we're using science, the lenses of science to, to view um, 
to view history or to, to view what the, what scripture says. And that's, that's not the right order. <laughs> that's not the right way or method. Well, it's, it doesn't, it's not a good meter for it. Yeah. I mean, uh, if, if, if we're, you know, if we go to the optometrist and we've all done that and he, he you know, he dials a little things better, worse, better, worse, better, worse. Uh, there's an assumption there that science, when it turns the click, the lens to, to science, Oh, that's a better look. Uh, when actually it doesn't comport either with our experience or our practice. Amen. By the way, that, that is never a good experience for me. And I'm sure I frustrate my optometrist to no end because when they do that, I've always asked you, uh, I could, uh, could, could you do it no. again? And then yeah, he does exactly. it again. And I'm like, uh, one more time, you know, and, yeah. and they're probably like, please, which one's yeah. better, you know? Okay. Yeah, know. Well, well, Mike, that, thank you so much for that summation. And, uh, and uh, again, the bottom line is we see a need. We have to have a historical atom. It is imperative. Um, and, again, the, the two prongs Beaky points out, number one, it is the history of the Bible. And yeah. if we don't believe the history of the Bible, why do we believe anything of the Bible? If the history of the Bible is wrong, take your Bible and throw it in the dirt bin. I mean, it's, it's worth nothing. Uh, and then on top of that history, that true history that's recorded in Scripture, there's a whole theology that's built off of that. We see it in Romans 5. We see it in other aspects. I love what Ken Ham says. He says, if you get the first 11 chapters of Genesis wrong, then you're going to get everything else in the Bible wrong. He says all of the major doctrines of Scripture can be traced back to the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. And so it is so important for us to get that nailed down and, and get it right. Garbage so in, with that, garbage that's yep. right. That's right. So with that, let's go ahead and uh, and move into the uh, uh, the doctrine of the image of God in man, the Imago Day. And and Marvin, brother, I, I just want to sort of just take a, a couple of minutes, just sort of tee this sure. up, and uh, and you just knock it out of the park here with a grand slam home run. But uh, but as we look at this, I think probably the place we have to start is just, uh, as, as we just read Romans 5, you know, turn back all the way to the very beginning and read out of Genesis chapter 1. And, and Mike has already read these verses in relation to this historical Adam, but I think we need to also review these in relation to God making man in his own image. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, they say this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is sometimes that verse is easy just to hydroplane over, but I think I think this is amazing here. I mean, this is really God acting with a purpose. And, and right here, it's almost like we have the veil pulled back that, that within the God hand, uh, Godhead, there, there's, there's a plan there. There's a purpose here. I mean, right here that in these verses, there, there's an agreement. I mean, here's the Godhead. We're, we're privy to sort of eavesdrop in on this sort of conversation. Here's a Godhead saying, let's do something. Let's make man in our own image. And right there, that to me, Marvin, that that just strikes to me as the issue of uh, of, of purpose. And and when you have that, uh, if there is no purpose, 
it's just like you know philosophers are always trying to to wrangle this out if there's no purpose then uh the question is why i think it was rc sproul one time that i heard him say that this is the last big ethical question for secular philosophers to answer that if there is no purpose then then why and the last question is the question of suicide in other words, if there's no purpose, then how do we, how do secular philosophers handle the issue of suicide? In other words, uh, if there's nobility, no nobility to man, why do I suffer the pains and the arrows and the throes of life? Why, why do I continue on? Is it more, uh, is it better just to end it all? So, and then, and, and then you hear Sproul in his voice. I can even remember it. You know, who am I? Why am I? You know that. So, so that there's so much intertwined in here, Marvin. So, talk to us, brother. The image of God. What What is the Imago Day? As it is in Latin. Um. Well, that's a that tees it up very well. Um, I'll, I'll try to move quickly through this because I know we're we're uh, we're pressed for time. But I do want. I think it's very important on uh, page uh, one sixty one. Uh, Two quotes there, one from uh, Herman Bobbink and the other from Gerhardus Voss. Bobbink says, um, uh, the entire world is a revelation of God, a mirror of his attributes and perfections. Every creature in its own way and degree is the embodiment of a divine thought. And I want to stop there. The quote's not done, but I want to stop there for a minute and say, that's an important point because in that way, then, uh, in that way, then, the animals and and man are an expression of the divine thought in other words uh, god thinks uh and they are created so they have that in in line uh but then he says um uh, uh but then he says i've got my uh, barista filling me up here <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome yeah uh, is that a, said, is that Amanda bringing you a cup of coffee? It was. It was. Oh yeah. man, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, you, you got you got everyone there well trained, right, Marvin? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh yeah, Amanda loves to make coffee. I, I need uh, I need to have Kathleen do that for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a it's a great it's a great uh, it's a great uh, blessing. But then he goes on to say, but among creatures, only man is is the image of God. And notice there, he doesn't say is in the image of God. He says is the image of God. Mm-hmm. And the whole chapter plays that out. And I think it's an important distinction. God's highest and richest revelation and consequently the head and crown of the whole creation. Um, so he says there's a, there, uh, it, it is, man is a creation in the sense that uh, God spoke and he came into, and he came into existence. But I mean, he is distinguished by the fact of having his own day. And not only that, in Genesis, uh, unlike unlike the other parts of the creation, uh, uh, there are a couple of chapters devoted actually to looking at this in two different ways, to looking at the act itself. And Van, as you were saying, and as, as Paul does in Romans, to looking at uh, what we consider to be the theological consequences of that. Uh, the other one is by, on the same page as by Gerhardus Voss. Uh, he says, by image of God is expressed what is characteristic of man and his relation to God, that he is God's, uh, that he is God's image. And he uses that term again, that he is God's image 
distinguishes them from animals and all of the creatures. Uh, so again, I think I think they get it right in that sense that the image of God uh, is that which distinguishes uh, man as a creation from everything else. Uh, Beaky then goes through uh, talking about the created image of God, which again is uh, is an important place to start, and he makes the uh, he he makes a distinction between the image and the likeness uh, on page uh, 162. Uh, he he talks about the uh, image as uh, as basically what we would consider be a, a snapshot. Uh, in other words, it is uh, it, it is representat representation. Uh, uh, the likeness uh, highlights uh, highlights uh, uh, the similarities or the patterns between God. Mm -hmm. uh, as I read this, I was uh, uh, maybe maybe I was distracted, but I was I was uh, my mind was drawn to the uh, biggest controversy in college athletics now, and that is what is called the name, image, and likeness. Uh, which again uh, uses two terms that are that are used here: image and likeness. Uh, in, in in college athletics, the the idea there is that uh, is that uh, people have for for decades have been using the image of an ath athlete locally to sell cars or to sell washers or to sell something like that, um, or uh, they have. Uh, they maybe have gotten them to um, actually to uh, verbally to give us uh, to give an agreement or uh, or uh, or to associate with a particular product or a particular idea maybe uh, without any compensation. And again, the NCAA says now um, that they can profit from that. Which again, that's a larger discussion about college athletics, it isn't nearly in the scope here, but it is in the scope in the sense that I think there's a similar thing going on here as well. One thing that Beaky does here is he doesn't want to put too much daylight between image and likeness, even though right. in the Hebrew, even though in the Hebrew, they are two distinct words. He says, really, theologically, we start getting into trouble whenever we try to separate those two, the image and the likeness really are really are joined together and they are a part of the same thing and that is uh as bobbing and and um and uh, uh, voss say uh, man is image of god and so in that sense then uh, there is a uh, being in the image of god he not only is a representation of god but there is a but he is also in the likeness of god as well in the sense that his actions who he is uh, whenever we whenever we look at him uh, he is, uh, we should be thinking of God. Um, and, uh, uh, Beaky here says here, uh, that this is not an idea of deification in the sense that we become God, uh, which is the very basis of some modern cults and, and, uh, well, Mormonism, for instance, uh, has this, uh, perverse idea, you know, that, um, uh, of the inner of the interplay of humanity and deity uh it's not the, it's it's not the case at all um uh, there is uh we are uh as uh beaky would say here 
being being uh, being in the image or being the image of God and in His likeness, then uh, is an analog, as He would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, which again, uh, an analog simply means that it is a representation, uh, not just a snapshot, but an ongoing representation. An example of that would be. Um, I'm looking at my work computer right now, and I have a couple of other monitors. I'm actually logged into another site that I kind of glance at occasionally while we're doing this uh, as a matter of work. Um, there are some times whenever I will have three different times on here because my my computer uh, actually syncs up with uh, a time server, a, 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 a time server somewhere that will correct it and will get it back into time. Uh, and so I may have a different time on my watch, uh, on my cell phone, on my computer, and on my remote on my remote system. Uh, doesn't mean then that there is no that there is no time. I mean there is a standard somewhere that this aligns to. And the point they're making is that that's also with the image of God as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see various representations of it. It never is. It never is quite right. Uh, but we can look at it and we understand, we understand in terms of time, we understand uh, the whole concept of time and realize that even though this is an imperfect, this is an imperfect uh, analog or, or, or an example of it, uh, it yet reflects a true reality. And so uh, Beaky would say, so we are as well being made in the image of likeness in God. We are an imperfect representation of God, uh, but uh, in our created state, as Adam and Eve in that period of probation or that testing in the garden, uh, as they are there, I mean, they uh, to look at them is is to uh, is to uh, see a is to see an image and a likeness of God to understand uh, not only that God exists, but that He is, uh, uh, but but that He is a uh, a loving and a creative and a caring God. Hey, Marvin, let, let me jump in and just sure. ask you this question. Okay. Uh, so, so why do you think God did this? He He wants He He creates creation. He creates everything that's there. All of the you know the oceans teeming with fish, the earth teeming with animals, uh, the very creation itself, and he, He's looking at all this leading up to the sixth day and he doesn't see anything that that images him he doesn't see anything that you you could look at that would point to well well this looks like like you said you know an analog you know by analogy uh, this looks like this in some way resembles god he doesn't see that and so he right. chooses to make man and he chooses to make uh, an image of himself. And and for my mind, you know, when, when Beaky said uh, he gave this illustration of how in temples you would have the images of the, the rulers, like the emperors there that people are to look on. And the statue is not the ruler himself, but the statue is an image of the ruler. So as they looked at that statue, their minds would be pointed to yeah. the ruler. And in certain ways, that statue was like the ruler, like the emperor or who, whomever, and and that would recall to the mind who that individual was. So so why does God do this on the sixth day? Well, again, uh, on the sixth day, which is actually truly the last day of creation, uh, it, it is clear there that, as you say, uh, and the language in Genesis really expresses this, is the fact that 
there is none of those. I mean, they all are, exist by the word of his power, but there is none of those in there that truly express uh, what he expresses uh, the expresses God himself, but more particularly expresses the inner the um, uh, the interdependent and the inter and any internal communication of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The relationship there, uh, the Word, the Logos, that is Jesus, uh, personality, uh, decision-making, all these different things. Uh, God deliberately at that point uh, decided in an analogical or in a way by analogy, uh, decided to create someone that would reflect that uh, in, in, a, uh, in a mutable uh, but, an endure, uh, but an enduring way. Uh, that is what makes man different is the fact that to sustain that knowledge. And, and again, I'm, I know we're running out of time and let me jump all the way over. Cause I think he, uh, Beaky makes a good point. If I can find it here. Now, this is uh, a good, deep discussion. Uh, there's so much that can be said. Uh, no, here. no, when, there he is. Which uh, let, let me give this plug again, while you're looking for what you're looking for. Uh, Get the book, read it along with us, follow along with us. There's so much good edifying material here that would just lift your heart up to praise the Lord. Yeah. Go ahead, brother. Uh, yeah, uh, in a dependent in in and in, in, in a dependent way, uh, God creates us, man and woman, uh, to uh, to create uh, or to uh, or to uh, be. Uh, or to be uh, a representation uh, of him uh, and of certain attributes. And, and, and uh, uh, Beaky says this, basically uh, to represent communicable attributes of God, of the mm -hmm. Trinity. Uh, and, and three of them in particular uh, that he mentions on page 172, uh, and I think this is really good. I think it kind of sums up the entire thing. As you said, we could go on forever and theologians have gone on for this forever, <laughs> but it does. I think it does. I think it does set up chapter nine also. Uh, uh, third line, he says, uh, the fact that Paul can write of God renewing his image and mind in the graces of knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, even though regenerated men are not yet restored to outward glory and dominion implies that the core of God's image consists in the moral image, the spiritual life of the heart. I like those, I like those three terms he uses there. And he actually, again, picks those up and uses them in chapter nine, when he talks about uh, the theological development of, uh, of the doctrine of the image of God, knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Uh, I think these are, these are three things um, that man, when he is, when he is rightly in relationship with his creator, which he has not been, uh, which he was not from, uh, in, in the truest sense of the word from Adam, uh, to Christ. Uh, mm -hmm. but whenever he is, there is a, there is a true knowledge of him, which is unlike the knowledge that was perverted in the garden. There was a true knowledge in the garden. Uh, but again, uh, the serpent came in and and uh, uh, and perverted the knowledge there. Uh, 
uh, righteousness that is a true right standing before God, uh, one in which uh, we stand, uh, in which we stand faultless, in, in which we stand, uh, in which we stand in righteousness, in which we stand in a place to where uh, there is no condemnation. We know that's only available in Christ, uh, and then also holiness. Holiness uh, expresses the fact that the, it's the life of God within us. Um, and I, he, he, uh, and I think it's very important that the last part of that, uh, when he says it implies that the core of God's image consists in the moral image, the spiritual life of the heart, not that the rest of these are not important. As a matter of fact, uh, it's, it's very important really to, um, uh, to consider, uh, a whole section of this that we haven't had time to talk about. Uh, but that is what happens after the fall. What happens to the mm -hmm. image? Does it does it go yeah. away? Is it destroyed? Uh, what happens to it? Well, uh, the fact is, the Bible says it's still there. And it's interesting that in Genesis 4, I think uh, Beaky agrees as well. We get a clue to that whenever in Genesis 4, he talks about the development of what we would call culture, mm -hmm. uh, language, music, um, all of these things. He says uh, these are... Uh, these are the gift and the property of different people who are in the process of developing that. In developing those, whether they do in pure righteousness or not, they are also, in a, in, in, as a people or a community, they are also expressing. They are also expressing the presence of God as well. So understand the presence of God. There is not only an individual thing, but it's also a community thing as well. Right. Um, so right. the right. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, uh, basically the classic reform view, at, at least a lot of what I've read concerning, you know, the the, the image now after the fall is that it has been it has been marred, it has been right, defaced, but, not but it's not been destroyed. Yeah, yeah, uh, and again, uh, one seventy three. Uh, one last quote, and I think this really ties it up. You quoted. Spruill earlier, and, uh, <laughs> and and I, I will as well. I I, I wish uh, he has that Gershner growl, but not quite. Uh, <laughs> again, uh, but he, he does. Uh, Beaky does say one seventy three first paragraph. God's predestination aims at the honor of His Son, and I think that's very important. Uh, all of creation aims at the honor of His Son, uh, that He might be the firstborn, and then Spruill. Uh, draws attention to this uh, Christ-centered consequence writing. And I love this. The only reason why God has saved me is for the sake of Jesus Christ, that Christ might have the preeminence. And I think that sums it up so beautifully. The only mm -hmm. reason God saved me is for the sake of Jesus, mm -hmm. uh, because I belong to him, and in him I have life. In other words, the uh, uh, Beaky talks about the renewed image of God within us, which basically, yeah. by the Holy Spirit, is the life of God coming to dwell in us in a saving and a redeeming way. Uh, it is in the process of making us uh, into uh, uh, into His image through the right. second Adam, the second Adam, who it, Paul calls him that in, in 1 Corinthians fifteen, uh, is He who came to set right what Adam what Adam did, failed in failed to do uh and that is to create us in the in the true image of god to where as a part of that mandate there not only is a moral and a spiritual 
relationship that we have with him in which we reflect his glory. But there's also a dominion aspect of that as well. Mm-hmm. Not, a, not, in this, not in the creation mandate, although that's still there, and, and the cultural mandate, which is still there. But more, but more explicitly, uh, there's this garden motif there as well, where uh, where we are meant to extend the kingdom, and we do that, and we do that by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, and, and that is yeah. that, uh, and that is in the end, whenever we see us in our redeemed and our uh, ultimately in our state, we see there basically what we were created to be, but that is only. But that is only possible through uh, through the image of through the true image of God, which is Jesus Christ. Right, uh, right. He is he is the one who is the exact representation of it. He is not an analog. Right. To look, exactly. to, yeah, he is not an analog. He is the real thing. In mm-hmm. other words, if we are trying to measure going back to your question, your very good question earlier, why live? What's the difference? He is the true analog. I mean, mm-hmm. he is the tr- he is the true thing. Uh, he says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the gateway. I'm the I'm the door. I'm the I'm the door of the sheep. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the I am statements there. He is he is he is truly that. And in relationship with Him, then not only is the image of God restored in us uh, from a marred condition, from a from a condition uh, that puts us in a natural state of death and uh, and unbelief." Uh, we're restored to that, and we are by the Holy Spirit in, in holiness, being sanctified to the point to where one day, uh, the last stage, as Paul says in Romans eight of this, is our glorification when we mm. finally become like our elder brother Jesus Christ. Uh, then at that point, that that that's the whole point of this. That's the whole point of this. As Sproul says, the only reason I was saved is because of Jesus, so Amen. that he so that he could collect me. Uh, as a lovely flower in the bouquet of his of his sovereign grace, and present me to the Father faultless and blameless, uh, with white with white white robes with white ro- white robes of righteousness, hmm. uh, and, and that's the whole reason why we exist. And our happiness and our purpose is only found in that. Whenever we come and we and we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, then at that point, then uh, this whole uh, theological discussion about image and likeness again is uh, this ties back to the last chapter and, and Mike and, and uh, Van both your good your very good points and observations this is why the historical atom <laughs> must exist mm. uh, because none of this makes none of this makes any sense we have to account for why sin passes down through each human mm-hmm. um, it's not it's not it is something we learn, but we learn because it's already in us. It's the disclosure of what's already our nature. Yeah, yes. I mean it's 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 who it's who we're created. How we're uh, how we're uh, how the image of God we're we're created in the image of God, uh, but yet it's a marred image, and we we get that not only by example from our parents, but we get it also in some in some way where it's passed down to us. Um, this raises a larger discussion about Augustine, uh, uh, and the whole idea of concupiscence, but, uh, uh, boy, so much we could, we could, uh, pass for another day, but this is exactly what we're saying. This Genesis dovetails into so many different aspects of theology and doctrine and scripture. And, and that's why we have to get, we have to get the beginning, right? 
Yeah, and exactly, and and, and I'll I'll end with this, and I know we're we're way out of time here. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I did my analog representation of the time. Uh, <laughs> it might be off by a few seconds, but it ain't too bad. It ain't off that far. Uh, but again, I, I did a uh, I I uh, uh, performed a funeral last last Friday uh, morning. Uh, as uh, I, as I let both you brothers know, uh, it was from uh, a sister in, in in the Beulah Church. Uh, and at the graveside, basically, I went to this very thing that we're talking about here in First Corinthians 15, uh, where Paul talks about uh, uh, talks about the body being sown as a seed and talking mm-hmm. about the burial and says it's sown in corruption, it's raised and in, in, it's raised incorruptible. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in strength. And, and again, the last part of that is the fact uh, that it says that the reason for that is because, Death came in Adam, distinctively, one individual. We can isolate it. He's the guy. He has the culpability. But yet we have, but yet we have, we have uh, uh, gladly conceded in that to the point to where uh, it has affected not only us, but also our world in a messed up way. But uh, Paul also says, 1 Corinthians Corinthians 15, uh, just as in, uh, or of Adam, just as in one man, uh, all die so also in christ all are made alive and, and there mm. is the hope of the resurrection there is the hope at a graveside whenever you lower they lower uh le- later they lower bury uh lower the casket into the ground uh, and they cover it with dirt at that point i, I like that analogy paul uses of a seed there uh because mm. i mean that 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 helps me i mean that, vis- that helps me to visualize that because yeah. really we are sowing we are burying a dead body there in the hope of the resurrection and the only reason for that is because uh is because of as Sproul said is because of jesus christ i trust christ and my basis and my trust in christ is my basis of giving comfort to a mourning and a grieving family uh, that as she is in christ she belongs to him he is quite jealous and of those whom uh, uh, of those whom the father has given him, he'll not lose one. Mm. So in that day, whether it, whether it is by, or in, in that day, whenever he returns again, uh, that body will be raised uh, minus all the imperfections it was in life. But even beyond that uh, uh, in true knowledge and righteousness and holiness, which shall, uh, which shall persist for eternity, uh, she will be, she will be everything that she was made to be. And so will we as well. We'll be everything that Adam was supposed to be, but yet in his testing failed to be. But in Christ, who has conquered death, who has a complete and a full righteousness uh, that is his own, uh, that he has uh, imputed to us, given uh, imputed to us that righteousness so that we can stand faultless before the Father and of the other comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom he said he was going to come, he was going to send a spirit of holiness who indeed will, through our lives, separate us from the world, uh, uh, make more profound our affection for Christ, and create in this life uh, to, be, uh, to be more like him. And, and so, so that, that is the distinctive uh that is the distinctive privilege and a distinctive ambassadorship of Christians in the fact that truly in the new covenant, when the world looks at us, they ought to see God and not just see God, the creator God, they ought to see Jesus Christ right. and, uh, and, and understand image. 
a renewed image and it's, yeah. and understand again uh, that he is a that he is a God who will set all things right. So mm-hmm. I mean a lot there's a lot in that chapter, but it's it's very I thought it was very helpful. Amen. Amen. And I know we're running out of time and I will wrap us up with the last chapter. We're just saying one thing about it. If you guys okay. want to hit something else, you know, I mean, say something else about it, you can. And then we'll just ask Mike to kind of close us out in prayer. But basically the last chapter, historical and polemical theology, you know, the, the issue is, okay, you have God creating man to mirror his glory, creating man to bear his name. As you wonderfully pointed out, Marvin, you know, we're not exactly like God, but there's some point of analogy whereby we are like God. There are some points of similarity, some points of uh, of likeness. And uh, and so that is the discussion going into this last chapter on historical yeah. and polemical theology. In other words, the question is, okay, we, we realize that. We realize that God has made us in his image. Now, here's the question. In what ways are we like God? <laughs> and therein yep. lies the discussion that has been had all throughout church history among brothers and others who have talked about it. In what ways are like, and Beaky basically brings out to, you know, constitutional perspectives, yep. functional perspectives. In other words, what is the image of God just in who we are, what, uh, how it constitutes who we are. And then the image of God in, in what we do, how we function. Mm-hmm. No, I I think you I think you summarized it very well, and, and again, it is not a clear split by any means. But I think it's a it's a good way to understand it. Uh, I think generally, again, there are always going to be exceptions to every rule, uh, but I think when he divides up constitutional and functional, uh, those who believe in a constitutional perspective on God's image, as he says here, are those generally, again generally uh, would it would take the biblical text uh, as it is written mm-hmm. in other words in the clear sense of it in the in the in the sense that it is not ahistorical uh, that it does describe to us a, a period uh, in human history uh, or it uh, really before before we were created it just does describe that which we have no way of understanding or measuring uh, and of an adequate language to express but it does say that in, I think generally those that say constitutional uh, would say that uh, as, um, as Beaky says in 175, it refers to something about human nature, at least in its original state. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there again, you have, you, you pretty much are, you pretty much are dialed into the historical atom there, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Generally as, as a rule, as a rule. Now there are some exceptions, the functional, however, and, and again, when he gets into Bart and Bruner there, the functional, however, does not need that uh, because it sees the image of God not in who we are or in elements of, of our being, but it understands them in terms of what we do, right? our, our actions. Uh, and, and again, I mean, that would also that would also comport with an ahistorical view of Adam as well, in the mm-hmm. sense that God adopted some, uh, some knuckle dragger out there and decided that you'll be my guy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and as he, and as he did there, then, um, the, the distinction there is not anything is not anything that we can look at internally or in terms of his, uh, in terms of his intellectual or moral image as not, these are on a continuum with the animal kingdom. There's nothing distinctive about them. Uh, but where we see is the, is there is the awareness of God. 
uh, and we see there, what do you do in relationship with God? What do you do as a matter of dominion, which are the uh, two of the two of the functions that he says there? Uh, we can see this, and it's not really dependent on us to uh, for our historical Adam, and that's why he says Carl uh, uh, Bart was uh, was aware of this particular problem uh, and realized that he needed a historical Adam, and so that's why he was very uh, he was very uh, comfortable. Uh, he was very comfortable in saying, I don't need a historical Adam in this is because, uh, is because, uh, uh, the image of God is defined in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. uh, not from creation, but is it, but is an image in, in Jesus Christ. And it's in the word or the crisis or the active relationship with him. So I, 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 I that's what I got out of chapter nine. I think there's a pretty clear divide there. Uh, yeah. and, and the the last the the functional part is really is really the burden or, or really uh, is modern theology for the most part. Yeah, we're talking about non non evangelical, but modern theology, uh, which uh, looks at man uh, and sees his spiritual relationship as a dependence upon God. Uh, right. Well, and that I don't, and that go ahead, and, and that plays right into to the great divide between. Uh, you know, biblical theology and and neo orthodox or liberal exactly. theology, exactly. where with biblical theology we want to go back to the text, whereas with the others, uh, we want to dive into our experience. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we, we go we go back to the text only in so exactly. much as we see records of people having experiences with God, and so we need to dive into our own experience as right. well. As Bart would say, that's when that's when the Bible becomes God's work. Exactly. The, the aha, the serendipitous yeah, exactly, moment. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Mike, anything to, to add to that whole issue of uh, historical polemical theology, kind of how this has been batted around in church history, brother, before you close us in prayer? Uh, I just, I would just say that again, you know, we, we, uh, earlier we talked about the, uh, the creation of uh, how God created uh, the world and man. And then we, uh, now we're into the, discussion of uh, the uh, historical uh, uh, presence of Adam. And it just, if, if, you, if you're not, if you take all that away, how we look at the Bible, just it, it, it changes. I mean, so you got, you know, so the, it is a historical uh, uh, Adam. It is a history of how things were created. And that drives how we properly look at the rest of the Bible and, and how it points to, 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 uh, how God is sitting in place, his plan for the redemption of man. But I like the way he ends uh, on page 190 uh, on the image of God. Cause I mean, I really enjoyed the, reading these three chapters. I mean, I dug into it. Yeah, they were very uh, good. Weren't they? The Baptist catechism, you know, question 13, mm-hmm. how did God create man? I mean, that our, our, our reading supports that question. And uh, so but he says the image of God consists of more than mere functioning. It concerns not only what man does, but also what man, what he is. For mm-hmm. in Genesis, the image of God is not a verb, but a noun, a noun that refers to the uniqueness of man's existence and is inseparable from man's being man. And, you know, that, that's what makes us unique. I mean, is that yep. we, I mean, so I mean, I like the uh, so I enjoyed the study. I, I really uh, enjoyed how you had a structure, you know, digging into one specific chapter, but I, I enjoyed all three chapters and it was definitely in, uh, enriching in my knowledge. And I really appreciate the, the, uh, the conversation as well this morning. Well, and I, I will say uh, the thing we all know about Beaky is 
he puts all his stuff on a lower shelf to, yeah. To, yeah. to where, yeah. to, where, to, where we could, to where we can grab the cookie and eat it, you know? Absolutely. Uh, and, and again, I will say this again. I mean, I, uh, I, I really do. I really do appreciate uh, the massive amount of work that came together and bringing or that occurred in bringing all this together. Uh, and uh, what a gift to the church uh, Joel Beakey is. Amen. Amen. And just one thing to add, Mike, I think you hit it right on the head. You used the word just then. You said the word unique, and yep. in God's uh, creative power and in his providence, man is totally unique from the creation. And for that, we give the Lord much glory. Amen. Go ahead, brother. You want to close this in prayer, Mike? Sure. Yeah. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for just thank you. Thank you for for just this this um, systematic theology book that Beaky has has written, Lord, and just the the wealth of information and knowledge that it it, it provides us to read and to discuss, Lord. How it, it supplements what what we see in your 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 Holy Word, the, the Scripture, your truth, Lord. Lord, I just uh, I thank you for this discussion this this morning, Lord, where we have de- we have looked at the issue of the historical Adam, Father, and we know that he is he is real. He existed because it 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 drives it it, it shapes how we look at everything else in the in, in the history of uh, of the Bible, Lord, that we read. Father, thank you uh, for your truth, Lord. Thank you that we have your Bible in written form that we can read and study and meditate on and pray back to you and even lift up as blessings because Lord, it is a blessing to us to have your word. Lord, I thank you for uh, uh, Van and Marvin and, and Will who could not make it today, Lord, but I, I thank you for all their, their time and effort they put into the reading and studying and, and discussion, Lord, uh, because it does it is uh, uplifting uh, for, for all of us, Lord. And in your word, you tell us to be to be to, to edify one another, to, to uplift one another, because we are all part of, of one body. And I thank you for that. What is we uh, go our separate ways uh, this today, Lord? Uh, watch over, guard us, protect us. Uh, uh, just uh, continue to to give us uh, the wisdom that we need in our in our decisions and uh, in our conversations with individuals we come into contact with. May we be steadfast in the and, and talking about you, sharing the gospel with those we come 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 into contact with. For in your name, I pray. Amen. Amen.